Morning, everyone. So I'm just going to start off with a quick recap of the last few weeks. So Jodie started us off um, by looking at the introduction of Romans um, and how people are so in need of the gospel. So we learned a verse together. Who can remember it? It was Romans 1, verse 16. Amazing. <laughs> ish. I'm glad we got ish. <laughs> um, and then we went on to Romans 2, and Rich looked at the bad news of sin and the state of the world. Um, and we looked at Romans 3, verse 23. Can anyone remember that? Perfect. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Dave was after that and linked in with Rich and looked at salvation and the believer's justification in Christ. Then last week, Kelly looked at Romans 5 and the peace and assurance that we have in Christ. Um, I'm following on with Romans 6 and 7, but mostly focusing on Romans 6. Um, there's a lot. Um, so yeah, my aim this morning is to look at how we can have freedom from sin by us being united with God through Christ. So I'm going to do this by splitting it up in my talk into two sections. One, knowing who we are theologi theologically, it's a hard word, and two, how to act it out practically. Um, so the word theology just means, it's telos, which means God, and ology means the study of, so it's just the study of God. So... Um, yeah, who God is, what is he like, what is his character, that's looking at theology. Um, the first 11 chapters of Romans is all about what Christ did for us by dying on the cross and what it means to us as believers. Chapters 12 onwards is all about how to apply that and live it out in our lives. And as Jodie said, my uh, degree, a master in applied theology, so this is a topic that really excites me and fills me with a lot of joy. Um, we're going to read out all of Romans 6, which Helen's going to read from, for us from the ESV. Um, I absolutely love reading the Bible, and I love reading large chunks of scripture. So we're going to read it all. Um, so if you want to turn to Romans 6 with us, you're more than welcome to. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Amen. For the death he died, he died to sin 
once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. But when, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you. So Paul here is speaking to a community who have a misunderstanding of what grace is. The Romans believed in a grace which meant that they could continue sinning so that grace could keep coming. When I was talking to my non-Christian friend about me speaking today, they asked me what I was speaking on and I told them about the grace of God um, and how Paul is calling us to stop sinning. They said, but isn't that the point of believing in God? You sin, and God's job is that he can then forgive you, and you can do whatever you want, and then he'll forgive you again. And this is exactly what the viewpoint that the Romans had. But let's briefly look at Roman context. Romans is after the book of Acts, which is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. So that's where the gospel, the good news of God, was being shared out, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit came, um, and it was being spread quickly and widely. So a little bit about Roman geography. Um, all the roads led through Rome, so which meant that the gospel, the good news of God, was being really shared quickly, quickly, quickly. Although this letter of Romans was written to Paul, to a, from Paul to a Roman church, that does not mean we cannot learn and apply it to our lives today. So what about God's grace? In verse 1, Paul says, Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, By no means. Shall we decide to continue sinning? Grace is already abounding. God is always, always lavishing his love and grace upon us who believe. But what is grace? The dictionary defines grace 
as the free unmerited favour of God, as manifested in the salvation of sinners and bestowal of blessings. Now that's very, very wordy. And what, is that, what that basically is saying is that God's grace is free and it's given to us by God, not because of anything we did or that we can do, but just because. This grace that Jesus secured for us by dying on the cross gave salvation to us as believers. Salvation being deliverance from sin and all of its consequences. Paul says that we have died to sin, it is done, finished. We are not for sin anymore. We once were, but we're not now. And this was given to us through Christ dying on the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 says, Even whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Whilst we were still at war, like Kelly said last week, God sacrificed his son so that we may come into union with him. Wow. Can you imagine that? God sent his son to die for us, for me, for you, for all of us. I wonder how many of us actually believe that and live like it. But it's important that we do, that we believe the sacrifice and that we live like it. Because if we do, then we must change to be more Christ-like. And consequently, we will see an outworking of radical transformation. So if we have given our life to God and been baptised by him, either through physical water baptism or Holy Spirit baptism, we were buried with him. We were dead in our sin. But then it goes on to say in verse 4, we also have a newness of life. That means we aren't being called into living in sin. We're not called into living a life of sin, but in a life of life, of newness, of holding, of freedom, through being united with Christ. So some scholars, that's just biblical learners, teachers, believe that the word baptism here is meant to, is the original meaning, is to be immersed in Christ to be so consumed with Christ that sin's not even on our minds because our minds are set on things above, just as it says to in Colossians 3, verse 2. Verse 5 of Romans 6 goes on to say, In Christ's death we were united with him. It is through his blood that we were and are made righteous. Through Jesus' act on the cross, we have been made right with God. We can have union with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. Paul is saying here, we need no longer to be enslaved by our sin. We can be resurrected with him and we can have a new start. You may be sitting here thinking, well, I've been a Christian for years now. What does that even mean to me? It means everything to you. You are still a new creation. And just if you haven't been a Christian very long, you are also a new creation. In biblical times, people would put on a sackcloth and rub ashes on themselves, which showed everyone else their state of heart. They were mostly used for three types of prayer, so grief, repentance, and salvation, uh, supplication. We no longer need to do this and live a life of sackcloths. We no longer have to wait months for our sins to be forgiven by offering sacrifices, whether blood, burn, or grain, as Kelly mentioned last week. We no longer need to make, atone for our sins, meaning make him right. Christ has done that. It is finished. But we do need to live a life, set, a life of repentance, this means coming to God, apologising for our sins. Romans 10 verse 9, bit of pre for coming weeks, <laughs> says salvation is yours and mine. Confess and believe and you will be saved. It is through our confession and our repentance and God says that this will save us from our sins. We must confess our sins, whether that is directly between us and God 
Or if we do confess them with someone else, you can repent with them. Do it together. Regardless of how you do it, talk to God. Tell him you know what you have done. Say sorry. Change that heart posture. Change the way of doing things. And you'll be saved. Can I encourage you all to spend time today or in the next couple of days to deliberately spend time to ask God where sin has crept into your life. Take time to repent and ask for forgiveness, leading to change of life and heart posture. No one is too far gone for salvation. Verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. Um, Vernon Pierre, a biblical scholar, teaches... We must not just be sorry about our sin, but be completely shattered by our sin. Do we really understand the life that Jesus has saved us from? Our flesh is sinful. As Kelly briefly mentioned last week about Adam, we can either be in Adam or we can be in Christ. Our sinful self was killed with Christ's sacrifice. But this doesn't mean as Christians we're not going to be sinning or be tempted to sin, but our relationship with sin has changed. The sin would have once killed us, but now we do not live in the dominion of sin, meaning it does not have to rule us and control us. We can choose to live a life free from being controlled by sin. Paul uses the term slave to sin or enslaved by sin. If we are trapped, if we are imprisoned or stuck, our natural response is not to stay there, but to get out. Then why? I don't know if it's just me. Is sin so sometimes so hard to breathe? break free from? Why do I find it so easy to be judgmental, to gossip, to slander, to put your sin here? Verse 7 reads, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. If we have given our lives to Christ, we have been set free from our sin. That means we no longer need to carry it around with us, to continue in it, which then makes me raise the question, why do we? Maybe it's just me. Is it just that it's comfortable or that we're used to it? No, we have been made anew. We are new in Christ. If we have decided to become a believer in Christ, we have been made free from sin. We do not have to keep on sinning. We do not, get, we do not need to get trapped in that cycle of sin. This leads us to making a choice. We can either be free from our sin or live a life separate from God. It, therefore, if we're believers, we must, one, consider ourselves dead to sin, And two, consider ourselves alive to Christ. You may be asking, what then? If we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, what do we do then? How do we do it? Verse 12 speaks of not letting sin reign in your body, as that will lead your body to obey in it. When we repent, when we confess our sins, to turn away from the sin and choose what is godly, we have the choice to say no to sin and choose a life holy and pleasing to God. When we partner with sin, we are not partnering with God. We are obeying the sin and not God. Verse 20 reads, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So some people may think that not being allowed to sin is not fun. When I was growing up, I thought Christianity was all about following rules and not doing certain things because that's what Christian did. Not because they wanted to, but to be in the gang, that was the way to do it. But boy, was I wrong. There is a cost to sin. But what is the cost? We've read, the cost is death. As it says in verse 23, 
Our desire as Christians should be that we do not want to sin. We want to live a life in freedom because of our unity in Christ, because we love God and we want our lives to be as an act of worship to him. As some of you already know, I'm getting married in just over a month. <laughs> At the moment, Piers and I are planning a wedding and we've just got our first flat and we're making it a home for when we get married. But this does come at a cost. This does mean we have had to learn to make a few changes to our individual lives. We've had to work on lots of things, on how we do things, on what things we want in the flat, and how we want our married life to be and how to keep God in the centre of it. It has not always been easy, especially as I would like everything green in the flat and Piers would like blue. <laughs> but learning to live a different life means that there needs to be change. It can take time. It can be tough. There can be times when you slip into old ways of thinking and doing things. But it's because that I love Piers that I want to spend my life with him that I'm willing to have blue curtains in the living room <laughs> and to make more time to work on our relationship. <laughs> that's all that's blue. <laughs> um, it should be our desire to have a relationship with God. And the love that we have for him is what makes us want to lay down our sinful ways and be obedient to him. We want to live the life of his ways. Sin is ultimately not fun, and it leads to death. But God calls us out of our lives of sin so that we can have a life with him. A life of fullness and freedom. It may take time. It may be tough. You might slip back into old ways of thinking and doing things. But seek God above all things. Put him first. Make him your priority. Daily, lay down your sinful human ways and put on your Christ-likeness. Verse 14 in the NLT reads, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. We can live in freedom of God's grace through unity with Christ. Sin no longer is our master, God is. We don't live under the requirements of the law, as Paul goes on to speak in Romans 15 to 23. We have a choice, death or righteousness. Oneness with God through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, or a life consumed and controlled by sin. We can either be a slave to sin or a slave to God. Romans 7 looks at how we are released from the law. Paul says that through the law, we are able to understand what sin we are free from. If you haven't read Romans 7 yet, I'd really encourage you to do so. Um, Paul talks about in chapter 7 verse 5 about the flesh and how when we live to flesh we produce fruit of death. But since being unified with Christ and being free from the law, we may bear fruit for God. Paul was a Jewish man and he knew the law. He lived by the law and he persecuted Christians for not obeying the law. But when then Christ transformed him, he is here encouraging believers to be released from the law through the grace of God. Before Christ came into our lives, we were at war with him. I don't know what each of your lives may have looked like before Christ. Some of you may not even remember. But, we, but when we put on our fleshly desires of sinful nature, we produce fruit that bears death. But we have been called from that life. We have been called into a life that produces fruit for God. We can do this by lots of things. Practical service, serving one another, 
doing things without seeking things in return, doing things with God's heart, having a heart posture of knowing, loving and sharing God. In Jodie's favourite book by Divine... Jody's favourite book, Divine Divine Conspiracy, written by Dallas Willard. He looks at, one, how do we live a life for God? And two, how do we show God in the life that we live? Well, how do we live a life for God? Well, it all starts on the inside. The inside is what matters. Our heart, our deep and inmost thoughts. The bits that people don't see. The mouth is the overflow of the heart. Man... Humans look on the outside, but God looks in at the inside of the heart. So what is my heart posture? Is it one that is glorifying God? All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. But we don't have to live like this. We should be putting off our old self. But if we stumble and pick up our old selves, we may think, why is this happening again? Why am I falling back into the same pit? I thought I dealt with this, and this can be really disheartening, but I'm saying, be encouraged. When I was 17 and 18, I really struggled with severe anxiety. This stopped me from doing a lot of things and kept me a lot in my room. Um, This anxiety came back when I was around 20, and I spent the whole summer in my room, not wanting to talk to people or see people because of how anxious I was. And recently, I've been struggling with that anxiety again. It could be really easy to let the anxiety take me away into my room and keep me there. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to be free. He wants us to have freedom from sin, from being united with Christ. When I let my anxiety consume me, I let the negative thoughts come in, and sin is easy to do. I become more frustrated and let unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. I sin. Sin is what reigns, not the peace of God. I side with my anxiety instead of leaning on God. So I'm not saying you can't have anxiety and lean on God, but I know for me personally, when I'm feeling low, I do not glorify God in all that I do and say, and that should be my ultimate heart posture. That should be my desire. Grace is free. Sin is not. Sin costs. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. It is through God's grace that I get through each day. It cost God greatly for Christ, his son, to die on the cross. Every time we sin, it is like we're nailing Jesus back onto that cross. But there is nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of God. Just because we do things that upset God and make him angry does not mean he does not love us. For example, I know my dad loves me, and I would hope that he knows that I love him too. But that doesn't mean that I don't upset him, make decisions he's not happy with, or at times I know I make him frustrated and furious. But I always know that he loves me. (laughs) That is what it's like with God, but on an even greater level. Okay, if we know all of this theologically, who we are, who we are in God, what God has called us from, what Jesus did on the cross, How do we act it out practically? Ultimately, the little catchphrase of the church, we want to know Jesus and to make him known in our lives all the the things that we do and say. So how can we do that? Baptism. Some of you may be baptised, some of you may not. I would really encourage you, read about baptism in the Bible. Look into baptism. What is baptism? Speak to any of the church leaders. 
and they would happily sit down and talk to you all about it. We need to repent. We need to take time to confess our sins and turn away from it. We want to live a life that's righteous for God. We want to, as it says in John 5 verse 14, sin no more. We want to live a life where we're not getting bogged down by sin, but we want to be free from our sin. I don't know about you lot, but sometimes when I feel like I'm sinning and I get trapped in a cycle, I don't want to see people who are Christians because I'm like, oh no, they're going to know, they're going to know. So that may stop me from coming to church or stop me from going women's or stop me from meeting up in a discipleship group. But that's, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to separate ourselves when we're in that cycle of sin. God doesn't want that. He wants us to be free. What we don't want is to have a worm mentality when we're having a woe is me where we get bogged down in our sin and go, oh, no, God doesn't love me because I'm just a little worm. But then also we don't want peacock mentality where we can walk around and go, oh, I'm fine. I'm doing great. I don't need God. I don't need to repent or any of that. We want to humble ourselves before the throne of God and go, God, I know I've messed up. I'm sorry, please forgive me, please help me to act out on your righteousness. Can I encourage you to read your Bibles? Um, write scriptures out, stick them on your fridge, learn them, meet up with other people, read together, pray together, remind yourselves who you are in Christ. When you feel that sin creeping in, go, no, I'm made anew in Christ. I'm dead to my sin and alive in righteousness through Christ. Read about what the Bible says about us. We are sons, we are daughters. We have an heirship to the throne of Christ. Remind ourselves that our old self is dead. Romans was not written to an individual person, but to community. We are supposed to support and help one another. Get in a home group. Meet up with someone to read the Bible and pray with them. There's women's group. If you want to be in part of a home group, speak to one of the leaders. They would love to put you in one of them. Or if you would like to meet up with someone one-on-one -on -one but don't know who, speak to the leaders. Or just go up to someone and go, can I meet up with you, please? It's scary, but it's a great act of going, God, you know what? I want to obey you. I want to follow you. And it's the first little step. Ask for help. It's okay to not be okay. Ask for help. If you need help, speak to any of the leaders. Speak to people at women's group if you go to women's group or in your discipleship groups. And if they need to, they can signpost you to other places. So let's just recap before I pray. Today we've looked at who we are theologically. So looking at who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And then we've looked at how to act it out practically. You can may think of more and please do act out, live a life free from sin. So we've looked at how we can have freedom from sin from us being united with God through Christ. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Father, please may we be aware of the life that Jesus has saved us from. Lord, we are in awe of you. Thank you for your grace and um, that has called us from our life of death.
to a life of light. Our oh, Lord, help us to act on what we've learned today um, and spend time talking to you, repenting and sharing oh, our lives with you, Lord. That is our aim. Help us have a heart posture of you. Amen.